Well, communication is absolutely key in football. A quarterback needs to hear the call from the coach or the results can be absolutely disastrous. Uh, in the NFL, the coach can, can call the play on a microphone that he has. If you see him pushing a button, he's probably talking to another coach or to the quarterback. And uh, the quarterback can hear it in his helmet. And sometimes the technology fails, but more often than not, the crowd is so loud that the quarterback cannot even hear what the coach is saying in his helmet. So you'll see them cover up those little holes in the side of their helmet in order to uh, access uh, more clearly what the coach is trying to say. My son Silas and I got to go to a Vikings game here a couple weeks back, and one of the things that immediately caught my attention was how loud it was in U.S. Bank Stadium. I've been to a lot of concerts uh, throughout my life. I've, I've been around some noisy things in my uh, music career and just being a fan of, of different bands. Going to U.S. Bank Stadium was something like I've never experienced before. It was so loud that I got dizzy from the sound. And when they were recording and, and posting the meters of the decibels, it went up to 115, sometimes 117, which uh, if you, uh, you know, look that up, that's just, uh, just slightly under the sound of a jet engine uh, at takeoff. Uh, which is, is pretty loud, but uh, as loud as it is at the U.S. Bank Stadium, that's not even the loudest stadium that's out there. Arrowhead Stadium for the Kansas City Chiefs is even louder. They have been clocked at a record 142 decibels, which the CDC has, uh, has labeled as painful and dangerous. Um, not going to a Chiefs game without proper... Uh, you know, uh, earplugs or whatever could, uh, could be disastrous for you. And stadiums are designed that way to effectively kill the communication between the coach and the, uh, and, and the uh, quarterback on the field. And that loss of communication could be the difference between a win or a loss, or even more importantly, the end of a season and going to uh, the playoffs. It is that important with the communication. Now, communication in football is one thing uh, because let's say communication breaks down and they, they lose the game, their season is over. Um, that's really not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. Football is a game. We enjoy it. We don't worship it. It's fun. Uh, but if communication between soldiers and officers or officers and commanders or commanders and generals is interrupted, uh, battles are lost, and, and people get killed. The stakes are very high. Well, if you're in Christ, it's vitally important today that you, realize, that you need to realize that you are in a war that has much, much higher stakes than certainly any football game. And certainly has uh, uh, certainly is more at stake than any physical war that has ever happened in history. You are involved in an unseen spiritual war that is being waged for your soul. This war has a higher body count than any other war ever in the history of humanity, and it is seeking to take prisoners constantly. Our church has constantly been at war. Uh, Satan has multiple times attacked this church, and sometimes he has uh, won a battle or two. Uh, but even in the midst of that, God has been very faithful to us. And we need to remember what Peter wrote to us in 1 Peter uh, when he said that our adversary, the devil, 
that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Jesus told Peter in Luke chapter 22 that Satan has asked that he would sift, well, Peter like wheat, but it also applies to us as the church. But, Jesus told him, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. In John chapter 15, it gives us a glimpse of, uh, of that prayer. When, when, when Jesus prayed to God the Father, uh, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. In doing this, Jesus presents to us one of the most powerful weapons that we can have as Christians when we are fighting in the spiritual war. And the, the one is the word, and the other is prayer. In God's word, God talks to us. In prayer, we talk to, uh, to God. Without this communication, we lose the game. Without this communication, we are in grave danger. The enemy is right there on the battlefront, and he is ready for the kill. So as we move forward in our church to, uh, to consider who we are and where we're going, uh, it, we need to look at the second pillar, which is the second purpose of our church, to engage God in prayer. This is wedded, as I said before, to the pillar that we talked about last week, and, and that was exalting God together in worship. And to have a successful battle plan, we as individual members of Emmanuel and corporately as the church, we need to engage God in prayer. So the first thing that we need to say, see today is that we have to devote ourselves to prayer. We need to devote ourselves to prayer. When Paul gives his instructions on how to wage spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, he lays out all the battle gear that the Christians are to put on. He says things like there's the belt of truth and, and the breastplate of righteousness and there's shoes of peace of the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, if we were to compare all of those... Um, those uh, battle gear that Paul lays out and compare it to a Roman soldier, we would think that we're quite equipped and ready to go out into the battle. But unlike a Roman soldier, if we were just to go out in those particular battle uh, fatigues or, or battle gear, um, we would be sitting ducks. Because Ephesians 6.18, Paul tells us that we must be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all of the saints. The most important aspect of our combat gear, spiritually, according to Paul here, is being covered in prayer. We see time and time again that prayer was both the offensive and the, and the defensive weapon of choice for Jesus. How many times do we see Jesus retreating by himself out into a, a desolate place so that he can be with God the Father and pray uh, for hours or even all night at times? If Jesus needed to seek God so earnestly in prayer um, to get through his experiences, how much more do you and I need to seek God in prayer? In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul tells us that praying uh, continually is God's will for our lives. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God's will, if you want to know what God's will is, part of God's will is praying without ceasing. The most clear example of the early church's commitment to prayer 
uh, along with, uh, with three other foundational activities is found in Acts chapter 2, the chapter that I asked you to open up to. And, and verse 42, and, and it's interesting, as I was, uh, reading, I was reading Acts last night, um, and uh, when I went into Acts chapter 1, the same exact phrase uh, shows up in Acts chapter 1 before the church explodes exponentially. But it says, they, they uh, all the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. They devoted themselves to prayer. Now, the, the, the word there, devote, it means to continue to do something with an intense effort. It means to persist in something, even if the action or the outcome is very, very difficult. Prayer is what these believers were committed to. My understanding is that, that it's not as if these believers got together and did a holy huddle 24 hours a day uh, with no food, no bathroom breaks, no going to work to uh, make ends meet. Uh, but rather, to pray continuously is to make prayer a priority in your life. It is to constantly have that communication with God open. It means to have time for focused prayer, to set time aside for just you and God um, without distraction. It also means to have a casual prayer life. As you go about your day, pray. As you walk down the street, pray. Pray is in your, uh, in your car as you go to work. Pray before you have that difficult conversation that you know is coming. Uh, being devoted means being intentional. It doesn't have to be audible. God knows what's in your mind and he knows what's in your heart. And the beauty of this is, is that it doesn't uh, require you to adjust your schedule at all. Uh, you incorporate this into your daily life. You could be like Martin Luther, who once wrote, I have so much to do that I can't help but be in at least three hours of prayer today. <laughs> Uh, he devoted three hours of prayer in the morning before he even got to his busy schedule. You could be like him, but for most of us, that's certainly not realistic. Uh, but you could spend three hours of prayer if you have 20 minutes in the morning or half an hour on your way to work, half an hour on your way back, if you're, uh, in your, uh, if you're on a walk or if 10 minutes in the shower while you're brushing your teeth. There's a lot of things that add up to having an active uh, prayer life. You have way more time than you realize. Our minds are so distracted by other things, phones, uh, other activities going on. The point is, that as a church, we need to be a people who are devoted to prayer. We need to be devoted individually, and we need to be devoted corporately as a church. Uh, there are times in a worship service where, quite honestly, sometimes prayer just seems like that thing that we need to get through to transition into the next thing. And shame on us, shame on me if I've ever felt that way. Prayer is how we wage spiritual warfare. Prayer is how God holds our church together. Prayer bonds us to brothers and sisters. If you're mad at someone in church and you've held a grudge for a week, a month, perhaps years, start praying for them. Start praying good things for, for their life. Pray that God would bless them abundantly. Pray that God would, would see their need more and more of Christ, that they would grow in the knowledge and that they would grow in the fear of the Lord. You'll be amazed at how you might see God change them in that way, but you're probably going to see as you pray for them that your guard and your animosity towards that particular individual starts to wane. 
So let's be prayer warriors together. Second, we need to examine our problems with prayer. Though we need to be devoted to prayer, uh, we need to be realistic about our problems with prayer. And there are really two separate problems that I wanted to tackle when it comes to prayer. And the first is, is that we typically tend to neglect prayer. So the question is, why do we neglect prayer? Well, the first thing is, is that we neglect prayer because of pride. Uh, A true worshiper prays because he or she recognizes their dependence on God. A prideful person neglects prayer because he or she believes that they can do it on their own. You know, a number of times in the New Testament, uh, the authors quote the proverb that says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So in prayer, we need to recognize that uh, all things are to him and through him and for him, that every good gift uh, comes from uh, from above. Uh, That's a grace from God. But if we neglect to pray, it displays evidence of a, of a prideful and self-sufficient heart. And God is opposed to people who don't seek him in prayer. And second, we neglect prayer because we often don't believe that prayer does anything. And uh, this can really go in two opposite ways. We can have uh, such an extreme understanding of God's, uh, God's sovereignty always trips me up. Uh, We can have such uh, an extreme uh, understanding of God's sovereignty that we might hold that view of saying, well, God's just going to do whatever he's going to do, and so there's no point in praying because his will is going to be done, so we just don't need to take the time to do that. And it's an understandable argument, but it's misguided. It doesn't take into consideration the numerous places throughout Scripture that God calls us to pray. In the Lord's Prayer, uh, we're called to pray that God would provide for our needs, that he would protect us, that his glory would be reflected in his hearts, and that his kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. James tells us in James chapter 4 that we don't have because we don't ask. Think about how many circumstances changed when God's people sought him in prayer. God threatened multiple times to completely extinguish the people of Israel. But how many times do we read of Moses going to God in prayer and saying, God, please don't do this. That's not, that's not good. You love these people. And what does God do? He relents. You know, think about uh, Elijah when he prayed on Mount Carmel and God came down and brought fire on, on the wet sacrifice against uh, the priests of Baal because Elijah prayed. When Sennacherib came and threatened Judah in 1 Kings chapter 12, and, uh, and King Hezekiah didn't know what to do, he prayed to God, of what should we do? Protect us, Lord. And God came through. Think about when Daniel was, uh, was in the lion's den. He was prayed up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sought the Lord's favor continued and they, uh, continually, and they were delivered from the fiery furnace. Even Jesus prayed for situations to change. What did he do before he raised Lazarus from the dead? He prayed, Father, I thank you that you have heard my prayer. And then he tells Lazarus to come out, and Lazarus comes out. If the sinless son of man had to pray to his father because of the efficacy of prayer, then how much more do we need to engage him in prayer? So we have this plague of neglecting prayer, and it's killing us spiritually, both individually and corporately. But we have another problem with uh, prayer, and that is why our prayers are not always answered. 
We have to say in the outset that there's a lot of reasons why our prayers are not answered. Some of them are simply that it's not according to God's will that such and such would happen. Um, does God have the ability to heal chronic and, uh, and terminal disease? Well, you bet he does. God can do that if he willed. But does he typically do it? We don't typically see it. In this temporal moment, he has allowed this to happen. Uh, and one of those reasons is that we can suffer well to make Christ look good. He has given us this temporarily in this life. And there's going to be a day coming in which all of us who have suffered from chronic disease are going to be in his presence, holy, uh, holy healthy, and seeing that God has completely healed us. What is it going to be, what would it be like for someone that was born blind and wakes up one day before Jesus and the first thing he sees is the glory of heaven? What is it going to look like uh, when someone that was born with some debilitating uh, issue, never being able to walk, dances before Jesus or jumps up and down for joy in heaven? What a day of rejoicing that will be. And so perhaps we need to change our language a bit. Prayers aren't answered or not answered. They are all answered. They just aren't always answered affirmatively according to how we want them to be answered. But there are some aspects of our lives that we can control so that our prayers are at least considered. Unrepentant sin in the life of a believer will sever the lines of communication with God. That noise of sin is so loud that we are not able to hear in the, the, the helmet of what God is telling us. The enemy will try really hard to lead us into sin so that this is the outcome. And when he does, he is not to blame. Sin is our responsibility. Consider Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, or his ear dull, that it can't hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. So God is, is certainly be, uh, able to do above and beyond. We talked a couple weeks ago that he was super, abundant, uh, uh, super abundantly able to do all that we could ask or even think. But yet... Something is in the way, and that's our sin. When sin is at work, God is not at fault for not hearing us. Think of Psalm 66, 18, uh, when the psalmist confesses, If I had cherished iniquity or sin in my heart, then the Lord would ha not have listened. So that if he prized his sin, if he enjoyed his sin, man, God's not going to listen. And James tells us that in, in James chapter 5 later that, that the, the prayer of the righteous is effective and has great power. And God will also close his ears if we are not treating others rightly. Guys, men, gentlemen, husbands in particular, Peter tells us that our prayers are strengthened or gutted depending on how we treat our wives. Look at what Peter says. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So that, why do you treat them well? 
so that your prayers may not be hindered. Proverbs 21 tells us that, the, that prayer is dependent on how we care for others. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. I think about Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount that uh, uh, talks about reconciliation and our relationships with people and, and true worship. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. You see, Satan will tempt us to pray selfishly. Remember what Jesus said again in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, uh, 6, verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells uh, of this, that two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be, exhaust, uh, will be um, uh, exalted. We looked earlier at James chapter 4, and we missed the wider context of what James was saying when he said, you don't have because you don't ask. So that's why, on the one hand, we don't have because we simply don't go to the Lord. But then he goes on to say that, you know, sometimes when we do ask and you don't receive, why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Prayer is vital, but it's okay to not always rush into it. It's okay to examine ourselves to see if there's any unrepentant or persistent sin in our lives. It's okay to start the day by praying Psalm 139 uh, and Psalm 19, where the psalmist says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the, in the way everlasting. Or in Psalm 19, where he says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God is ready, and He's willing, and He wants to hear our prayers. For that, though, we need to examine our problems with prayer. We must understand why we neglect it and why our prayers aren't always answered. But third, we should develop strategies for prayer. We should develop strategies for prayer. Um, at... Uh, Shortly after the worship service today, there's an email that's scheduled to go out uh, to those that are on sort of our newsletter list. If you get emails from me, that's, you're probably on it. If you're not, let me know. Um, and I'm sending out to you resources for prayer, different ways that you can pray, some, uh, some books that you might want to check out, some resources that might help you, especially pray for our church as well. So you can check your inbox here in about an hour and 15 minutes for that. But from here, I'm not going to necessarily offer any biblical text 
that goes to this point, I'm simply going to give you some practical pointers that helps us to be devoted to prayer. They're just suggestions. There are eight of them. Uh, I could have put 50 down, but here are just eight uh, of them. Uh, the first is schedule a time specifically for focused prayer and don't deviate from it. Set up a specific time and do not deviate from it. Some, something different and seemingly more urgent will always come up when you're trying to pray. Don't give in to the tyranny of the urgent in this. Write down, set an alarm, do whatever you need to carve this time out. And if you find that it's really hard for you to focus in prayer for a while, start that time for just two minutes. Set a timer. Two minutes. Timer goes off, you're done. Doesn't matter if you're in the middle of something or not. It's okay. Tomorrow. Maybe try two minutes again. Maybe bump it up to 2.30. Maybe bump it up to 3. And as you go, gradually add that time in so that you can train your mind and train your heart to be more focused on prayer. And uh, going along with that as well, uh, Wayne Grudem once suggested that when he starts praying and his mind gets distracted, I don't know about you, like I'm a musician, so I'm just scatterbrained, and things come into my head all the time when I don't want them to, when I'm trying to focus on something. When those things come up, Write them down. You can get to those later. Go right back into the prayer. And you're thinking, God, I'm, I'm praying this and that, and all of a sudden, oh, I have an appointment at 9.30 this morning. I need to remember to do that. 9.30, appointment. Lord, thank you so much for my family. You know, uh, do those sorts of things. Second, prepare to pray. There's an old saying that says, if you uh, fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. And that's true with prayer. Make a list. Have some things and some people that you pray for once a month, some people that you maybe pray for every two weeks, some people maybe that you pray weekly for, and some people that you uh, would pray daily for. Um, I should develop the, the graphic that John Piper uses where he has the middle of a circle is family. The next circle going out is extended family, church, and then different things in the community, and he goes out from there, from order of his life of more importance to the ones that are more, more general. And when you write down these things uh, and have this list, uh, note what you know about that person and what their current struggles are. What are their joys that you can plug into prayer? Uh, use dead time to pray. That's the third time. And what I mean by that is pray in the car. Pray while walking your dog. Uh, pray while doing the dishes. Cultivate a habit of random prayer. Fourth, learn to take advantage of a prayer request. Now, that sounds bad when I wrote it out. I'm like, ugh, that doesn't sound right. But what I mean by that is when someone asks you to pray for something, it is really tempting and it is really easy to say, oh, I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, can I pray for you later? And, you know, they might be glad. Oh, yeah, please pray. What typically happens? I know in my scatterbrain is I forget. And I go about my day and something will come up later. Oh man, I totally forgot. Or I might not remember at all. Rather, take advantage of that moment when someone has a need for prayer. Don't tell them, I will pray for you. Pray for them right there on the spot. Put a hand on their shoulder. Do whatever you need to do. Pray for them right there and cultivate that habit of prayer, then you have engaged God in prayer and you've encouraged this person at the same time. Uh, number five, deal with your sin. 
Go to God in repentance right now. Go to God immediately. Make it right with that person that you've hurt. Reconcile those differences. Um, Husbands, treat your wives well. Number six, pray with others. This takes a little more intentionality, uh, but everything in life is better when it's done with other people. Uh, Find a group of friends that you can meet regularly together with to pray and to share uh, burdens and prayer requests. Um, If there isn't time to pray together, start a a text group so that you can keep each other accountable. So in the morning you say, hey, I prayed for this person. Hey, uh, Susie, uh, you know, can you pray for this? And and going back and forth and reporting how you've prayed. Uh, Number seven, learn to pray the Bible. Learn to take different areas of Scripture, especially the Psalms, and learn how to pray them. I did an example of that earlier today when I read Psalm 8 in a prayer. Uh, Instead of just reading it uh, verbatim of what it says, add your situations into it. So take something like, oh, I don't know, uh, Psalm 40. I waited patiently, Lord, where it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined his ear to hear my cry. Say, Lord, I thank you that I waited patiently for you, and I thank you that you have heard my cry. I thank you that you have dwelt, that you have drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog. Lord, you are so good for setting my feet upon a rock and making my steps secure. So there are ways to pray, uh, to pray the Bible. Uh, Number eight, pray for more than just your food. And this is something I struggle with too. When you're at the table with your family, um, it's easy to pray that God would bless the food and then just go and dig in when you're hungry. Um, But use that time to pray for every member of your family. Uh, Go through the church list and pray for one family or person in the church, specifically right there at the table. Uh, Or... um, uh, one of the resources that, I, that I'm sending out in this email is a list of everybody that is in our directory, and they are all in little squares. So you can cut up these squares, and then you have everybody that you can kind of thumb through uh, the cards in that. When you're at the table, throw all those names in a fishbowl. And then when it's time to pray, have one of the kids dig it out. Say, oh, hey, this is the Everson family. We really need to pray for Dave. Um, <laughs> You know, and uh, you can do one family at each meal or each, each child or each person uh, at the table, you and your wife, spouse, whatever. If it's just you, pray for that person. It's going to be awkward at first, but it does get easier. So, it, it, you know, it's really hard to hear yourself think at the U.S. Bank Stadium when the Vikings are scoring a touchdown or they get an interception. Uh, it's life or death when soldiers miscommunicate on the field. Uh, amid a spiritual war that's far more deadly and far more consequential, however, you and I need to do whatever we can to ensure that there are no barriers between us, uh, us and God, uh, through prayer. And when we do the, these pillars that we've been talking about, the pillars of our hearts, the pillars of our lives, and the life of our church will be strong. And so, friends, as a church, let's bond together in prayer. Let's be prayer warriors and commit our lives to being devoted to prayer. Let's go to the Lord in that.